Good morning, everyone. May God's peace be with you. I'm Pastor Solomon Liu from Evangelical Chinese Church. I want to first extend a warm ECC greeting to UPC and Damascus International Fellowship. What a joy it is to be able to worship our Lord Jesus Christ with you this morning. ECC has two campuses, one in Seattle, Balor, and one in Redmond. This is where I'm being recorded at this moment. Allow me to tell you a little bit about ECC. ECC is made out of predominantly people of Chinese heritage from all over the world. We have people from China, Korea, Taiwan, Philippines, Indonesia, Malaysia, Singapore, even South Africa. Even though this is a Chinese church, it's made up of people from various backgrounds, various um, cultures, and speaking different languages. And it really is a testament of God's grace that after 50 plus years, we are still one church. After 50 plus years, we're still going strong. ECC is a church blessed by God. And my family and I, we count it a blessing to belong to this church. But God has been teaching all of us here at ECC that we are to be a missional church, a missional church, which means God has chosen us to be his blessing to others. We can't just sit here and enjoy our blessings. No, we need to be a blessing to others, a blessing to even the nations. And it's our prayer, it's ECC's prayer, that we would be used by God to be a blessing to you, our kindred churches, UPC and Damascus. It's also our prayer that with your partnership and with your encouragement, that together we can be God's blessing to our city for Jesus Christ. Amen? Today's sermon is entitled, Redeeming Ethnic Narratives. Every person has a narrative. Our narrative is the lens in which we look at the world. It's our personal understanding of how life works. Our narrative helps us define what has significance and value in life. It's important for us to understand our narrative because our personal narrative is largely shaped by our ethnicity, our culture, and our upbringing. But because we exist in a fallen world, there's brokenness in our narrative. And the author of the book, Colorblind, uses the word cracks. There are cracks in our narrative. And if we want to be a true blessing to others, to love and serve like we've been talking about in Kindred, serve others, love others the way God wants us to, then we must first identify the cracks in our ethnic narrative 
and allow God to redeem it for his glory. So with that in mind, let's look at today's passage, Philippians chapter 3, verses 2 to 11. This passage was written by the Apostle Paul. And as we read today's passage, I want you to see two thoughts. The first thought is broken narratives, our broken narratives. The second thought is redeeming transformation, the redeeming transformation that God can bring into our lives. With that in mind, let's read the Word of God together. Philippians 3, verses 2 to 11, verse 2. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though my, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a prosecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. May God bless the reading of his word. First, let's look at the brokenness in Paul's narrative and allow that to help us identify the brokenness in our lives. Paul started out by saying in verse 2, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers. See, he was warning the Philippians against the false teachers, the people who went around teaching these uh, new believers that instead of re receiving salvation by faith, they had to do something else. They had to be circumcised. They had to first be, uh, be converted to Judaism. See, the culture of Judaism is one of many, many rules, one of many rituals and customs. And Paul says, I used to be all that. Paul says, my life used to be characterized by all those things. And this is where Paul started to tell his story. You see, Paul used to be a Pharisee. He belonged to the strictest religious group, which prided themselves in how strictly they can obey 
the rules. In a way, they equated their spirituality, their faith, with their religious practices and rituals. And you could just hear Paul boasting. You know, when it comes to obeying the rules, I am the best. I am perfect. I am blameless. See, that's Paul's background, you see, where he found his identity in his strong work ethic. He was a hardworking individual who drew his self-worth from his accomplishments. As an Asian American, this really resonates with me and my community. We can really relate to Paul's narrative. See, in the Chinese culture, we are big on high achievements. Ever since we were little, it's ingrained in us the high standard that's expected of us. See, in everything we do, we must do it with excellence. In everything we do, we must give it 110%. Because we don't just do it for ourselves. Everything we do, it reflects on our family. Not too long ago, a middle school girl introduced to me what an Asian grading system is. Now, all of us know the, the general understanding of the grading system in our American society, right? Anything, see A, B, C, D, and F. Anything, uh, you know, C right there is average, average. Now, anything below C is not very ideal. You want to get uh, at least average, right? At least a C. Now, if you are above average, you get a B, which is good, good. And if you are really good, if you are exceptional, then, then you get an, an A. See, that's the general understanding of the grading system in the American culture, but not in Asian culture, no. You know what an A stands for in the Asian grading system? A simply means average, average. Getting an A is no big deal. You're supposed to get an A. Well, then what is B then? B means below average, not very good, not very good. C? Can't have dinner, sorry. You got to see, no dinner for you. Go to your room. D, don't come home. Don't even think about coming home tonight. F, find a new family. We don't even know you. You are a disgrace to this family. See, that's our standard. That's the expectation that's ingrained in us. You can imagine just the pressure that most of us experienced growing up. Imagine the day you're given your report card, and uh, you've worked hard, you study hard, and you come home with all A's and a B. Now, in a normal family in the American culture, you would hear words like, wow, good job. 
Wow, nice work. Celebration at McDonald's. But in a Chinese family, what would you hear? What happened? What's, what's with the B? Some of you might remember a movie a while back called The Joy Luck Club. It was based on a novel written by Amy Tan. This was back in a time where there weren't a lot of exposure to the Asian culture. But Amy, she did such a great job in her work that upon its publication, it received such enthusiastic reviews. It ended up spending eight months, eight months on the New York Times bestseller list. In fact, it got as high as number four on the list. What a tremendous accomplishment for this Chinese woman writer of humble origins. When Amy broke the good news to her immigrant mother, that her work got such recognition that she was number four on the list, guess what the reply of her mother was? Why weren't you number one? Not, job well done. Not, so proud of you. But, why couldn't you do better? See, that's the narrative that many Asian Americans can relate to. That's the brokenness in our culture. You know, two weeks ago, Two weeks ago, we just celebrated Easter. And it was uh, special for me because my birthday happened to land on Easter Sunday uh, this year. And um, so, by the way, you haven't done anything yet. It's still not too late, okay? So, because we just started this live streaming on, in our church, and, and it, it's, it's such a new and exciting thing for me. And I asked my parents to tune in, to join in in our Easter celebration, and to hear me preach, deliver the Easter sermon. Well, after service, as soon as I got into my car, I reached for my phone. And there it was, a simple text from my parents. It says, job well done, proud of you. You know, I'm over 50 years old. I'm not a little kid anymore. I've been doing this for nearly three decades. But those words still mean so much to me. And the fact is that not too many Asian Americans get to hear those words from their parents. No matter how hard they try, no matter how much work they put in, it's just not good enough. It's just not good enough. And you know what they do? They try harder. They try even harder. And that's why many of us Asians, we unashamedly admit 
that we are perfectionist, perfectionist. It's our humble brag. But you know what a humble brag is, right? You say something that appears to be humble, but you're actually bragging. Oh, I'm so sorry. This is taking so long. Don't mind me. I am a perfectionist. See, we're secretly proud of it. You know, it's great to have your doctor as a perfectionist. It's great to have your dentist as a perfectionist. But it's not great to have a boss that's a perfectionist. Amen? It's not great to have a parent who is a perfectionist. It's not great to have a spouse that's a perfectionist. Anybody want to say amen? No, don't say it. Don't say it, right? Unless you want to find a new family. <laughs> okay. It's, and it, it's not great to have a neighbor as a perfectionist. I, I, I found this slide. I thought I would show it to you. <laughs> a neighbor with perfect landscape, perfect lawn. Ah. And you know what else is not great as a perfectionist? a follower of Jesus Christ. Why? Because this, that's the opposite of the gospel, right? The definition of a perfectionist is someone who believes that they are valuable only because of what they can accomplish. See, that is the opposite of the gospel. What is the gospel? Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, for I will, what? Give you more work to do? No. For I will give you rest. Rest. Ah, oh, that sounds so refreshing, so life-giving. And Jesus says in verse 30, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, that is the gospel. So contrary to the norm of our culture, see, do you see how, how we compared our, our ethnic narrative, when we compared that with the gospel, when we look at them, put them side by side, we begin to realize that we have brokenness and cracks in our ethnic narrative. Now, I want us to think about this question, and this is a difficult question, but I want us to spend some time on this question and just, just really process, think about this question. What is a value in your culture that is not aligned with the gospel? What is a value in your culture that is not aligned with the gospel? Or it may not be a value, but a worldview. Your upbringing, your ethnicity, that is not biblical. 
See, that is a question that we must think about. See, all of us, no matter, no matter who we are and where we come from, all of us have brokenness. All of us has cracks in our narrative. And we need to allow God to heal our brokenness. We need to let God transform it for his glory, which leads us to our next portion. Number two, let's look at God's redeeming transformation in our lives. See, just as we are examining our narrative, finding how broken it is, Paul, too, is realizing that, hey, being a perfect Jew is not enough. I mean, you cannot find a better Jew than Paul, right? Yet Paul is realizing here that that is not good enough. And look at what he said in verse 8. See, I count all these things a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And he goes on to say in verse 10, I want to know Christ. See, when he looked at his narrative from God's perspective, he realized the things that he used to place so much confidence in, the things that he used to really rely on and draw identity from, all these things, they are lost compared to knowing Christ. See, in today's passage, the key word is knowing. And Paul just keeps repeating himself again and again. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. See, the word knowing here is not just an intellectual kind of knowing, but it's an experiential type of knowing. And the Bible uses this word to describe the most intimate level of relationships. For example, look at Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Adam knew Eve, his wife, same word, knowing, and she conceived and bore Cain. Genesis 4, 17, another verse. And Cain knew, same word, knowing, his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. You get the idea. Girls, if some guy hits you up after today's sermon and says, hey, let's hang out. Um, I really want to know you. Watch out. Run. Run away, all right? But, but see, that's what, Paul, that's what Paul was talking about here. He says, I don't want to just know him up here. No, I want to experience him here. I want to know Christ at the deepest level, I want to be so intimately connected to him. To the, vo to the point, look at verse 10. It's, he says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. See, that's how intimately he wanted to be with Christ. To share, to share in even Christ's suffering. See, Paul was someone who had an intimate relationship with Christ. And it's that relationship that enabled him to serve God the way he did. My brothers and sisters, 
How about you? Do you have an intimate relationship with Christ? Do you really know Christ? Or do you just know about Him? I am convinced that we cannot live the Christian life that God has called us to live. Uh, to love the way God called us love, to love. To serve the way God called us to serve without having an intimate relationship with Him. Without having experienced His love and His forgiveness for us. Think about this. The Bible says, Ephesians 4.32, Forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Jesus said in John chapter 13, 14, Now that I have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 34, Love one another also as I have loved you, right? Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. See, these things can only be done through an intimate relationship with Christ, where you experienced love and forgiveness from God. And sure enough, Paul went on to minister, minister with God's love. He lived the rest of his life spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ to those that did not know Christ. Most of them were not Jews. But Gentiles. See, Paul was used by God in a big way for God's glory. What a beautiful example of someone who used to be all about himself, about his culture, who used to draw his identity from his ethnicity, but now has allowed God to redeem his narrative and became an effective, powerful minister of the gospel. But notice this, while Jesus redeemed Paul's ethnic narrative, he did not do away with his Jewishness, nor his Roman citizenship by birth, right? God was still able to use all these things, every aspect of Paul's life, his story, to further his kingdom. And Paul was able to become all things, to all people. He was able to relate to not just the Gentiles, but he was also able to relate to the scholars and the philosophers. Yes, Paul was a Jew, and that was great, but he was a Christian first. In the same way, brothers and sisters, we are all Christians first, our ethnicity second. I want to give you an example of that. When a life-threatening virus was discovered in Wuhan, China, a Christian doctor risked his reputation and his safety to warn others about this mysterious virus. Now, you have to understand, this goes against the fabric of the culture, a culture that follows the rules, a culture that does not rock the boat, a culture that honors and respects the, the law of the land. But this doctor, he did the right thing. 
He did the Christian thing. He stood his ground. He was a Christian first, his culture second. You know, this Christian doctor continued to treat his patients until he himself was infected and eventually died of this virus. It is said that when, uh, as he was dying, he wrote a deeply touching poem of how he would miss his family and his beloved city. And he quoted 2 Timothy 4, 7 to 8. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. And he did. What a beautiful example, right? Even though he lived a short life, he will be remembered as someone who puts Christ over his ethnicity. A Christian doctor from Wuhan who followed Christ first above the demands and the expectations of his culture. Beautiful example. Let me point out the stark contrast in this passage. The before and after God's redeeming transformation in Paul's life. The first half of the passage is all about Paul's efforts to gain righteousness. The second half was righteousness through faith in Christ. The first half was about pride, boasting, self-confidence in the flesh. Second half, humble adoration of the work of Christ. The first half was grasping and gaining. The second half was about releasing and submitting. The first half was about work and labor and burden. The second half, relationship, intimate relationship. What a difference, right? God's redeeming transformation makes in our lives. You know, Paul's narrative story reminds us of another story in the Bible. Luke chapter 15, the older brother's story. Remember when the prodigal son had returned home? The father threw a big party, invited everyone to come, and everybody came to celebrate and to rejoice with the father except one person. Who's that? The older brother. The father came out to speak to the older brother, hoping that he would come in and join in in the father's happiness. But what did the older brother say to the father? Verse 29. Look, all these years, I slaved my life for you. Now, I can only imagine that, that when he was speaking these words, he spoke with clenched teeth and bitterness. I worked my tail off for you. I labor like a dog. Do you even recognize all the things I've done for you? And what have you given me? 
what is the older brother's narrative? He has thought that the father's love is gained through hard work. And as long as he worked hard and long enough, he would be able to get the father's blessing. But what did the father say in verse 31? Look at verse 31. The father said to him, My son, you've always been with me. Everything I have is yours. The older brother never had to work for it. The father shows the older brother a new narrative, a gospel narrative. It's not about work. It's about what he has already given to you based on relationship with him. My friends, that is the gospel. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus has already done the work for us on the cross. Remember, when Jesus was dying on the cross, he said these words, it is finished. It is finished. All the work that's required for us sinners to gain salvation, to have access to God, the work is done. It is finished. And because of that, through Jesus Christ, my brothers and sisters, everything the Father has is ours. That's it. That's the gospel narrative that God wants us to have in our life. You know, it's so ironic. The older brother here, even though he was home, he was so far from the father. Do you see that? Even though he was physically close to the father, he did not have an intimate relationship with the father. He totally, totally, completely missed the point. Now, for me as a servant of God, see, this is a constant reminder that I need. Now, some of you know that I come from a pastoral family where my grandparent, my grandpa and my dad, they were all pastors. My grandpa was a faithful servant of God. He, uh, you can see uh, him here at this picture, in this picture, that he survived a, uh, a major stroke, which left half of his face paralyzed. But he continued, he continued to serve God until his body would not allow him to. What a faithful servant of God he was. And then there's my dad. He's also a pastor. Every church that he goes to, he loves the, the sheep that God has entrusted to him. He cares for them and he ministers to them with grace. And no matter uh, where he goes, he's well loved by his sheep. What a kind and loving shepherd he is. Well, to make a long story short, upon my birth, my parents gave me this Chinese name. See, that's, that's my Chinese name. The first word means expensive or precious. And the second word, if you look carefully, it's made up of two words, God and sheep, right? Lamb, little lamb. And you put them together, you have precious lamb of God. They dedicated me for God's service. 
You know, precious Lamb of God, that's a beautiful name. But it's also a name that comes with heavy responsibility and extremely high expectations to live up to. Being a servant of God for almost 30 years now, it, it, it could be a lot of work. You know, I, I've been asked multiple times, Pastor Saul, uh, you, you, uh, you, you show up at church at work uh, on Sundays, but what do you do the rest of the week? I mean, you only work one day a week. <laughs> Trust me, it's a lot of work. And the burden can be heavy. And I admit from time to time, I struggle. I struggle with the heavy responsibilities of ministry and the pressure of having to live up to people's expectations. And I need to be constantly reminded that the Christian life is not about the work that I had to do and how good I have to perform, which is my natural tendency, and it's the ways of my culture. But the life of Christian life, of a follower of Jesus Christ, is supposed to be the fruit of an intimate relationship with Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but I would not want to see the Heavenly Father one day huffing and puffing. Oh, look! Look at all how I've slaved for you all my life. The hard work, the sacrifice that I've done for you. And have him say to me, my son, you totally missed the point. No, I want my life. I want my ministry, I want my service to be characterized by an intimate relationship with God. Because it's only through that intimate relationship comes true joy, true peace, and love. See, it's by abiding in the vine, the Bible says, I as a branch can bear much fruit, fruit that will last. And that's my prayer for myself and for you as well. May God help all of us, every one of us, to take an honest look at our ethnic narrative through the lens of his word and allow Jesus to heal what's broken and make us whole so that, so that we could truly become God's blessing to others, right? We could be the salt of the earth, the light of the world, so that we could be the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ to a broken world who, just like us, needs, desperately needs the redeeming gospel of Jesus Christ. May God redeem our narratives. May God rewrite our story. May God use all of us in a big way for his glory. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for speaking to us this morning, reminding us 
that even though we have cracks, your power is so great. Your power is so available to heal us. Lord, you can mend what is broken in our lives. And we trust, entrust ourselves into your hands. May you do, may we invite you to do the work of healing in us. And use us, use us in a big way to bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.